Welcome to the Freedom Challenge Online with host and director of the Freedom Challenge, Tracy Doherty. Our mission is to do good by helping enslaved women and children, to do more than you ever thought physically possible, and to do it together by connecting women with a heart for a hurting world. Hi, Freedom Sisters and listeners. Today, I want to continue our conversation on the cultural hot-button social justice. On the last podcast, we started a conversation that was intended to expand our worldview and align social justice with biblical justice. We looked at questions like, how does social justice fit the narrative of the believer? And what is shaping our views of justice? Is it the culture or is it scripture? What is God's heart on social justice and whose original idea is it? So here's some simple language we use to frame our discussion. Social justice is humanity positioned to stand against, to fight for my rights, to seek retribution for wrongs. Whereas biblical justice stands with walks toward and seeks the restoration and change in the way that humans relate to each other. So my desire for listeners is to have a well-informed why from scripture. So here's some of my favorite scriptures that I want to encourage you to chew and meditate on as you consider what biblical justice is. Proverbs 19.10. Listen to this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. Consider that. We actually lend to the Lord. Isaiah 58.10 If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom as the noonday. Proverbs 31.8 and 9 Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So here's what we're going to do today. We will continue this exploration with a two-part conversation about the first time that we see human trafficking and the exploitation of the vulnerable in Scripture. Exploitation because of gender, socioeconomics, geography, cultural, or beliefs. When we see the first, the first time an idea or a pattern is mentioned in scripture, this is often called the law of first mention. This means like stop, stop in your tracks, say law, pay attention. God is unveiling something very important about himself. The biblical text we will look at today is Genesis 16, and we're going to read straight through it in just a moment, but do consider that in this passage there is two firsts, two times things are mentioned for the very first time in scripture. It's the first time slavery and human trafficking is mentioned, but it's also the first time and the only time in scripture that God personally reveals himself by name to a woman, not just any woman, a slave woman. So with that, let's listen as I read from Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. 
but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a child through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian slave, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to mistreat her mistress, Sarai. She treated her with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are El Roy. You are the God who sees me. She also says, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? So she named the well, Well of the Living One who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar gave Abraham a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Woo! Now that passage was packed full. Let's make a few observations about what we just read. It's easy in scripture to just fly over and miss some of the details. So one of the first things I observe is where Hagar actually came from. Now, if we go back to chapter 12 in Genesis, this is where it is believed that Hagar was acquired from Pharaoh in Egypt to a wealthy, prominent religious man, none other than Father Abraham. Ladies and gentlemen, this is human trafficking. The next observation is that Sarai was unable to have children and she tried to help God out. We know how we can get those emotions involved, ladies. She had the power to manipulate her husband, and she did. When we manipulate and use force, all get hurt. This is a form of abuse of power over. She used her power and her emotions to manipulate her husband, 
and abuse her servant, Hagar. Here's something else I see. It's this cultural norm. Slavery, giving a slave to your husband to bear you a child. Just because it's a cultural norm does not make it right. I mean, could we become more aware of how easy it is for us to dehumanize because of cultural norms? We're sorting and categorizing people. These are image bearers, people made in the image of God. Listen, the idea of slavery, the exploitation of the vulnerable, this is Satan's idea. It was conceived in his selfish and rebellious mind. Slavery, pedophilia, rape, force, and control, these are all of the evil one's agenda. Throughout history, humanity constantly attempts, I constantly attempt, you constantly attempt to normalize or even just justify. But I'd like us to pay attention to how God dealt with slavery and his unforced care and provision for this woman. Again, it's just so easy to dehumanize when we see Abraham, a prominent figure in scripture, participating in this. Slavery and abuse in any culture and in any form and in any nation or in any generation is painful, it's wrong, and it's heartbreaking, period. Yet, it's easy for us to numb, to normalize, to turn away from. The next dynamic I see is how just dysfunctional this whole situation is. It was so dysfunctional that it provoked Sarah to treat Hagar with such abuse and harshness that she would rather run into the desert with no provision, pregnant, than to stay in the abusive situation that she was in. This is really complicated. Now let's talk about this Elroy. Elroy. Well, in the Old Testament, God paints a picture of how he is through the names that he gives himself. You've heard names like Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Nisi. There's all of these names that God gives himself that depict a little bit more of a picture of who he is. So first, the word El. It's a generic name for God. And then the word Roy actually means see. So the God that sees. I love that Hagar said, the God that sees me. She personalized it. Isn't that beautiful? The only time that this name, El Roy, is actually revealed in scripture is to Hagar. Many times God reveals his name multiple times in multiple ways, but El Roy is exclusively used to reveal himself to a slave woman in distress. It's the only time that God reveals himself in this way. This gives us a huge snapshot of biblical justice and slavery, God's views on oppression. Let's make a few more scriptural observations. So verse 7, if you want to look in your own Bible, that would be great. It says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar. So this is actually Jesus, the pre-coming Jesus. You know, Jesus is eternal. He actually finds Hagar in the middle of this bleak situation. Listen to that. The angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, finds Hagar. 
Then we look at verse 8. Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Now listen, if this is Jesus, he knew her already by name and he knew her situation and he knew her status. Yet he asked the question, why? Notice the sweetness of Jesus, the sweetness to engage and ask questions, to connect from the heart, to bear witness to her pain, to sit with her. The witness of Jesus is so profound. No sweeter friend than the one who actually asks questions. And here's our pain. And Hagar shared her pain with Jesus. Jesus didn't try to fix the problem. I mean, he brings direction to her and he certainly leads her, but he wasn't trying to fix her. He wanted to be with her, which is so like Jesus. I mean, think about it. His name is Emmanuel, God with. He knew exactly where Hagar was going. He even already knew her name and that she was Sarah's servant, but yet he wanted to engage her heart. Elroy, the God that sees. Then he goes on to say, go back and submit. What a hard word. I mean, this woman was being completely abused and he tells her to go back. And then he prophesies and says, you're going to have a son, name him Ishmael. It means the God that hears. And he reveals difficult truths about her son's future. He basically tells her, your future isn't going to be easy. All of this brings me back to a story I heard from one of the OM projects in a country in Europe. And it goes something like this. There's a woman who often visits brothels in a country in Europe. And she was building relationships with these women. She wasn't trying to fix them. And she knew that what she could do to rescue them was very unlikely because of the unique situation that they found themselves in. Yet, she was showing up. She was asking questions. She was knowing their names. It was told to me that this beautiful woman who wanted to be and act in the same spirit of Emmanuel would show up to the brothels and sit with these beautiful women. There was a handful of them that were actually African women, many of them in their young 20s and early and late teens, and they had found themselves together in this brothel. She visited on Easter and was astounded at the fact that there was all of this activity happening in a brothel on Easter. I mean, just even think about it. These precious women are working on Easter Sunday and servicing men. So she gathered up this small handful of identified women who were Christ followers, and somehow they had found themselves in this dire situation by trickery, by exploitation, by all the things that we've already been talking about, the exploitation of vulnerability because of gender, geography, socioeconomics, all of those kinds of things. And they gather into one of the small rooms, and they begin to sing hymns. She said it was one of the most beautiful Easter's she had ever experienced, watching these remarkable African women that had been forced into these very difficult situations, singing praises with all of their hearts to the living Christ. She mentioned that they did not feel sorry for themselves. They were not angry. They comforted one another. They gathered around one of the younger sisters and prayed strength over them. She sat and just gave witness to their pain. 
She validated their humanness. She cried with them. She wept with them. And she sang the praises of Jesus on Easter Sunday with them. When the day closed up, she walked away. And guess what? Nothing had changed. It was still difficult for these women. And she didn't know how are they even going to get out of this situation. But she showed up just like the angel of the Lord showed up to Hagar. Elroy, the God that sees, that knows your pain, that stands with you in it, that asks questions, that bears witness. Now, that's not to say that problems don't need to be fixed. Please do not gather that information from the story I just told. What I want to say is how hard it is for us, especially as Western Christians, to walk toward and stand with when we know that there is nothing we can fix. I want you to listen to that. How often do we choose not to see something or someone? How often we choose not to walk towards something that's so painful if we can't fix it? Yet we see in scripture that Elroy, the God that sees, asked questions and sent her back into the most difficult situation, actually sent her back into her abuse. That's something to think about right there. Elroy, the God that sees. Now let's look a little bit at Hagar's responses because those are key. Verse 23, therefore Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So the well she named, well of the living one who sees me. What a powerful revelation. Not just a God who sees, you know, he's watching me from a distance, some sort of Bette Midler song, but the God who sees me. The wilderness brought her face to face with a God who cares when she's hurt. I'm curious. She never responded with excuses or questions about the difficult things that she was asked to do. Return to your mistress. I mean, nothing was really even solved and... God didn't make any promises to fix her situation. But listen, for the first time, this slave, this gonna-be single mom, this abused, estranged, and trafficked woman saw a God who fully engaged her. It was a permanent reminder of this through her son Ishmael, whose name meant the God that hears me. And through this new picture of hope, She realizes at the core level that God sees me in my pain, in my despair, in my wilderness, in my ugly, at my worst, when nobody sees or cares or even wants to know me. He found me. He hears me. And he sees me and my unborn child. This unborn child, Ishmael, was not a reminder of her pain, but of God's care for her. Then she goes on to name a well. The well of the living one who sees me, a well of refreshment, an earthly reminder of God's care for her personally. What I see here is that she becomes empowered. Where she was disempowered by her abuser, you can see the well of courage coming upon her by this encounter with El Roy to return and submit. Clearly she did because the scripture goes on to say that she had a baby and they actually named him Ishmael, which by the way... God revealed to her. Interesting. Abraham and Sarah actually allowed her 
to name the child what God said to name the child. Now, what's interesting about this is that we know that Hagar was a slave. She must have had such an encounter with God that Abraham and Sarah actually submitted with her naming the child Ishmael. Because in that culture, naming a child prior to birth signifies a divinely established role. Interesting. Elroy, the God that sees me. Now, before we go, dear Sisters of Freedom, let's talk a little bit about our responses to what we heard. First, I want to recognize and continue to encourage you to be intentional about your understanding of biblical justice. Be informed about your why. Then I want you to understand how personal God wants to reveal himself to you. Just as the God that sees came to Hagar, a trafficked woman, a single mom, a discarded Egyptian slave, in her pain and in her wilderness, he also longs to come to you in your pain and in your wilderness. So often these journeys of freedom and pain are not just for the freedom of our sisters around the world, but they're also a gift of freedom to you, to me. God loves to show up and be with the unseen and the unheard. And some of you listening, maybe that's you. God meets such a basic need to women. We all think it. We all feel it. Do you see me? Does anyone see me? Do you understand me? I want to feel heard and not just fixed. Man, if you're married, you get that one. But Elroy, the God that sees me, This is how he chooses to reveal himself, even to you. My desire as we wrap up this podcast is that you will have a greater revelation of the nature of God. God asks questions so that you can discover answers with him. He engages you. He engages your heart. Yeah, he already knows the answers. He knows where you've come from and he even knows where you're going. But he wants to engage you from your heart, just like he did with Hagar. He sees you, and he hears you, and he is always with you. Emmanuel, God with us. This revelation changes everything, and it really does make the hard realities that you face able to endure. He is near you in your wilderness, personally. Elroy, the God that sees you, and he sees me, now that is biblical justice. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Please continue to engage with us, leave comments, and pass on the valuable content to your friends. I look forward to continuing our next time together as we continue studying biblical justice and the life of Hagar. Thanks for listening to the Freedom Challenge Online. For more information about what we do and how you can partner with us, check out our website, thefreedomchallenge.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at the FCUSA.